for me, this trio has been an incredibly exciting journey that's a little bit unusual in the sense that we've been playing together for how many years now? Uh, four, Summer of 2003. Yeah, almost four years. We've been playing four, 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 years. four years now, and we're just now getting around to releasing uh, an album, which is, I think from all of our experiences, pretty much backwards to the way it works in jazz these days, where everybody does a project, often <laughs> not playing together at all, right. and then suddenly you're in the, you know, the studio playing music you don't really know that well, and then... Once the record comes out, then you do a tour. Well, we've been doing it just kind of the other way around. And uh, yet at the same time, there are things on the record that were new for all of us. Um, it's kind of a mix of things that we had been playing every night and then a few things that uh, we recorded for the first time that day, including, in that respect, the first tune on the record, Son of 13, which we played... Uh, um, just kind of like we would do on a record day. None of us had had really played it, although actually Antonio had played it because it, it's a tune that I originally had written, uh, one of two tunes on the record that I had written kind of uh, uh, inspired by one of my favorite young musicians on the scene right now, Alex Sipiagin, who's a great trumpet player. He plays with Dave Holland. He's you know, often commented to me about tunes of mine and things that he's liked in, in various pieces that I'd written, and I uh, offered to write a couple pieces for one of his records, and on that record Antonio was playing, and, and that first tune, Son of Thirteen, is our version of, of that tune. Um, so Antonio kind of taught it to us. I think you were playing it right away, and, um, and, and Christian can sort of sight-read anything, so that was not an issue, but I think I was the one that was probably having to learn it more than anybody in a way. I think I'd written it on piano, actually. You know, it's a tune that, that has a connection to actually the title tune on the record, Day Trip. They're kind of a similar sensibility, certain compositional aspects are, are a little bit alike in that there's lots of hits and little things that we have to negotiate along the way. You know, everybody, I think, sounds so good on that piece. That uh, was my first choice to start out the record. Well, it was great the way this, this entire project kind of bookends because the song uh, Day Trip was originally known as number 13. Right. So, of course, we have usually started our shows with number 13 on, on the tours that we've been doing for the last couple of years. Um, Day Trip is usually the, the first of which we really, really stretch out. So when we got into the studio and we saw Son of 13, at least we kind of had uh, an idea, or at least I had an idea what the vibe was going to be like. And uh, it's brilliant the way that this album is bookended by those two songs. But I also think that the cool thing about those two tunes, as well as a lot of tunes that Pad writes, is that they kind of play themselves. Yeah. Is they, you know they're so well structured that we don't really have to fiddle around and figure out what we're going to do. It's just like we start playing them, and all of a sudden we get into a, a vibe right away. So. Well, but let me add in there that. 99.9% of all rhythm sections in the history of the universe would not sit down and say that that tune is a tune that plays itself. <laughs> I think that's something particular to you guys and your unbelievable skills. Oh. 
like everything on the record, um, within a take or two, we were pretty much there. I mean, there's there's not, I don't think, anything on the record where we did like, you know, a whole bunch of takes. I mean, uh, we kind of did everything enough times to get a good version of it and, and moved on. And, uh, you know, essentially the record was done in a day. Um, we did have a, a little bit of the day before and a little bit of the day after, but there was sort of this central day uh, that we got most of the stuff done. And, and even during that time, Christian was like running back and forth doing two or three other gigs for an hour or two and then coming back. I mean, in fact, I hardly remember anything about the session itself other than we just kind of kept playing a lot. I don't think yeah. we ever listened to anything. Right. We just played every tune, yeah. we moved on to the next we'll one, over, yeah. and, you know, uh, did did whatever we had to do to get set for the next one. And uh, It's really relieving to do a session that way because, you know, you waste a lot of time when you... I've never done anything like that. And the funny thing is that when I got the, the final mix and I heard it, it was like a completely new thing that I've never heard before in my life. Mm-hmm. Wow, we did all of that? Right, Because we right. really didn't listen back to it enough so that it could stay in our heads that much. Yeah. yeah, it's a funny thing with making records is that there is this sort of um, almost social culture that surrounds doing a jazz record where you do one or two takes of something then you listen to it and everybody usually eats something and hangs out and talks and all that Um, and then people either adjust for the better or often to the worse after they hear what they played often in jazz records what i've in my experience is that the second third fourth fifth takes are often not as exciting as the first take this thing of not listening to things for me lends itself to that kind of constant discovery thing and what i noticed when i finally listened to everything because in fact we recorded all this music and then i didn't listen to it all myself for a year i i mean we kind of did it because we were in the heat of doing a tour and we knew we wanted to record uh, but there were so many other things on the agenda right at that moment. I didn't really get to it, but what I noticed when I finally did listen to everything is that all of the takes had that same kind of immediacy. There was a kind of sense of discovery throughout the whole recording process that I'm not saying it wouldn't have been there if we had listened to everything, but it just kind of keeps everybody in playing mode rather than self-critical mode. Now the key in all of that is that you have an engineer that you really trust, that you know is getting a good sound and everything's cool. And Pete Karam, who's uh, worked on many records with with uh, me and and uh, uh, is a very good, very experienced engineer. Is the kind of guy you can just say, "Okay, Pete, everything cool," and then he'd go, "Yep," and then we can just kind of trust it and move on. The second tune on the record at last year here is a tune uh, like many of these tunes that was written specifically for Christian and Antonio. You know, it really in many ways captures so many aspects of their individual personalities as players. There's this sort of middle kind of almost R&B shuffle section that has that, um, just got Christian's name written all over it that I don't know anybody else could play it quite like that and then Antonio has that incredible ability to move between you know several different looks at a at, at a groove um, kind of at will which is kind of what this particular kind of three four feel requires the tune itself is is one that we played a lot live and had some good versions of live but this was by far 
the best we had played it. And I think many of the things that we had been playing live, when we got into the studio, it was the first time any of us really ever had the chance to kind of go two or three levels down into the tune, because usually we would play the tune live and then we'd move on to the next one and move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. I know for me it was like, okay, we did it that that first take. Now, every time we've been doing this live, I, you know, at this section or this moment or that moment, I haven't quite done this or I haven't quite done that that I'd hoped I could do. And this one, as we got to the like third or fourth take, it really took a, a life of its own that uh, it, it had never had before. Some songs they tend to get into your blood quicker than others. And I remember the first time we played the song, I really remember it like memorizing it after the first time. Not because I had to, you know, go out of my way to really try to make myself memorize it, but uh, the song just unfolds so perfectly. Uh, probably after about the first or second time, I just remember thinking, wow, I, I kind of know this song already. Just It just got into your blood that quickly. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. Yeah, and another thing, well, about the whole session that was pretty cool uh, for me, maybe for you guys too, but, I mean, we had been playing live a lot. And, you know, when you're playing live, you're dealing with a lot of energy, dealing with crowds, and dealing with acoustics of the place. And... Uh, Going back to the studio and playing those tunes after we had been playing them live so much, it was really cool because, I mean, I was really able to focus on, on everybody's playing and sound way more that, that sometimes you can do live. And, uh, and, and that kind of focus, I think, sometimes brings out the best in everybody and uh, on the tune as well. specifically for this trio, but I don't think there's a, another bass player and drummer on earth that could actually play <laughs> that one. It's, well, uh, or guitar player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. Well, you know, it's a hard tune. It's got some stuff that is very idiosyncratic, and, uh, and in, I have to say, both Antonio and Christian are such unbelievable musicians, kind of capable of addressing almost anything you put in front of their eyes at any moment in time. This tune was almost me saying, well, could I actually write something that Christian would have to look at more than once? And I'm not sure that even this one, you, you, I think you played it pretty much right off anyway. But uh, Well, I mean, the song is so fast. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I gladly admit that I had to go in the shed and just try to, like, work out some fingerings. <laughs> <laughs> Like my gosh, okay, I see what's happening here. Uh, but no, I, I that's definitely you, you need 
a full tank of gas to play that tune, man. You need a full tank of gas and you need loose limbs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> but basically the tune is blues. It's, uh, it's a, a pretty elaborate setup to go into a, a long-form blues at a, at a pretty moving-along tempo. And uh, we've, been, we've had a lot of fun playing that tune live. You know, it kind of depends on where it falls in the set as to how much fun it actually is. Sometimes I drop it in maybe a little bit too early for, for me. <laughs> but uh, uh, it, it's, it's proven to be a, uh, a tune that's quite exciting live, and I'm really happy with the version we got. Well, I, I got a little funny story from one of the early tours we did when we first started playing that song. Uh, I remember at one point, that would be the first song. I think there were about two or three gigs where that was the first song we would play with the trio. And for Antonio and I, you know, for that to be the first song you play, <laughs> <laughs> we had nothing left for the rest of the gig. <laughs> I remember after about the second or third gig, me and Antonio went to Pat and just said, hey man, please, can we just <laughs> save it for like the third or fourth tune? <laughs> Yeah, but but I think the cool thing of, of how this tune actually came out on the record is that, you know, when you're playing that fast, it can't, it, 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 it's easy for a tune to sound really hectic, and and nervous. But I think in in this uh, particular uh, occasion, we really captured a very nice state where everybody's playing great, but it also sounds really relaxed. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, so I, I really like that tune. actually a Russian word. One of the deals I made with Alex Sipiagin is that I would write tunes for him, but he had to think of titles, since that's the hardest part. And actually, I don't know exactly what Snova means. He's explained it, explained it to me. It's apparently a very beautiful word, but I just kind of like the way it sounds. Um, and so it's a coincidence that it's a bossa? Yeah. Really? Yeah, isn't that oh, funny? Wow, I didn't you know. You thought it was like some connection to bossa yeah, Snova. Yeah. yeah. But... I have to say, for me, that's probably my favorite thing on the record in a lot of ways. There's, um, again, an unbelievable Christian moment at the beginning of his solo um, that, that just blows my mind, again, on the melodic front. I mean, as much as Christian is widely recognized for so many aspects of his playing, um, you know, the, the groove factor, the incredible facility on the instrument, when I first heard Christian when he was just a kid... What got me more than anything was the melodic thing, was the, 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 the connection factor and the way that ideas move from one idea to the next with the kind of grace that oddly is not around much. I mean, as much as there's great players um, on 
all instruments. There's that kind of like fundamental kind of common sense melodic logic is something that I hunger for in, 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 as a listener when I hear players that I'm so often uh, missing in, in young guys. Um, and with Christian, that was there right away. Uh, and his solo on, on this again has that. But um, also just kind of because we had never played the tune and when we do play a lot of even eighth note music kind of, you know, bosses or, or, you know, whatever that groove is that I've kind of specialized in throughout Call my... Call straight eights in the business. Yeah, straight eights <laughs> and, 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 uh, and sort of, you know, nondescript uh, uh, claves, you know, whatever that thing is. Um, this is a, a, a particularly good example of sort of how, you, how to do that thing, the way the, 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 the chords build... The way the track sort of unfolds is is uh, really really nice, and uh, so I'm 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 really happy we got that one. Track five ended up calling Calvin's Keys. Now, a lot of people may not know who Calvin Keys is, but he's a great guitar player from the Midwest who spent a lot of time living in Kansas City. I think he's originally from Omaha, but he was chronologically the guy that sort of immediately preceded the, the period of time that I spent around Kansas City when I was growing up. And I always heard about Calvin Keys from everybody. And uh, that was almost a mythological uh, figure for me growing up. You know, there weren't a whole lot of recordings that, that he made. The ones that he did make sounded great, um, but the, the stories about the, the, the groove that he had, the, the sound that he had, the way that he played were kind of formative for me. I mean, uh, you know, everything was always in reference to Calvin Keyes, you know, and uh, I finally got the chance to meet him and uh, really hang out with him 
And besides the fact that he's a great player, he's an unbelievably beautiful guy. And uh, That always makes it better. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just so great to spend a little time with him recently. And uh, we had actually already recorded this tune by that time. But there's something about the tune, the feeling of it, that just fit right in with everything I just said. So I thought it would be a nice little... Uh, nod to call it Calvin's Keys. So that's that's where that one comes Remember from. Remember James Williams and Harold Mayburn talk about Calvin Keys all the time. So when am I going to get to hear this guy? So don't worry, when you hear him, you won't forget him. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> he's great. And, you know, talking about the tune itself, I wanted to have something in there that, um, you know, was kind of medium tempo, but, you know, straight ahead kind of feeling. But at the same time, I wanted to come up with something that had some twists and turns and was not just a conventional, you know, blues or, or something like that, but it had that feeling. And honestly, the bridge to this tune is one of the most convoluted um, things. Um, I, I don't even, again, have much recollection of, like, how exactly that came to be. Um, well, and also, we, we haven't really played it since... And when I hear it now, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> me too. And actually, I guess we should probably learn it for the tour. Yeah, you yeah. um, know. But uh, it's pretty hip, too. I, I'm really kind of on a compositional level kind of curious to see how that tune sort of uh, evolves as we play it because it's um, it's got some cool stuff that mm-hmm. never really heard anything quite like that. It does have this kind of reference to Coltrane kind of changes but at the same time it's got some rhythm stuff that are uh, you know unpredictable and, um, you know it's, it's, it's a, a worthy addition somehow Track six is called Is This America? And uh, it's a direct response to a period that we all sort of lived through together on the road um, during one of our most intensive touring periods was, um, you know, that period of time that will go down in American history as one of our saddest and most embarrassing episodes, which is what happened um, uh, surrounding... Hurricane Katrina, and particularly what happened in New Orleans. And the question is a literal question, and, and to me it's, it's uh, a very specific question. Um, is that really the best we can do? And, uh, you know, for me, the sight of, of, of what I saw um, down there and the unbelievable 
irresponsibility and neglect of so many people in so many positions that allowed that to happen uh, is something that we all have to live with. And, and that question, is this America, is one that we all really have to ask ourselves. And um, the tune itself, the spirit of the tune, the quality of the tune, um, I think somehow doesn't ask the question as much as it reflects on on what does it mean to, to actually be here. And uh, it's something that we all have to ask ourselves all the time. You know, this is a country that's really still very much a work in progress, and we hopefully will have hundreds of years to figure all this stuff out, but we're still in the real early going. There's such a very simple, direct poignancy about that song. There are certain songs when you analyze them from a compositional level, they have certain things that make them special or they make them attractive to, you know, from a, a musician's standpoint. But this is one of those songs that addresses that question. Can sad be beautiful? I'm not really sure, but that that song is is, is very sad and but but you know hopeful at the same time. One thing I, I, I would also say is that um, for me the, the qualities of kind of narrative exposition in music, whether it's improvisational or, or compositional, in this area, um, if you're like going to look at an event or a, a feeling or a, a person, there's a quality for me that I really aspire to, which is that it's not really happy, it's not really sad, it's not really beautiful, it's not really ugly, it's, it's just kind of the way it is. It's just kind of straight up. And um, you can then, if you have that sort of flat surface to build ideas from, you can talk about lots of different things. And from a compositional standpoint, in jazz in particular, that quality of sort of open but honest discourse is a really valuable point on the horizon to shoot for. That tune somehow just kind of came in response to some really horrible, awful things. But yet at the same time, it, it, it sort of is descriptive of a potential as much as, as yeah. a condition. Free is a tune that uh, did have a little bit of a life before this trio, but um, man, Christian and Antonio own that now with uh, every little bit of their beings, and that tune has emerged um, as a, a very important, you know, 
statement, I think, about what this trio is is and what it is about. You know, again, it's it's a tune that uh, just fits the character of the way I think all of us play to uh, allow us to kind of talk about the things that we care about and that we're, we're, we're kind of good at in a way. You know, it kind of lets everybody be exactly who they are. And then also collectively, the way that we've kind of found a way to play together, particularly in that style, like a more straight-ahead style, is something unique. It's an odd combination of things going on there. I mean, between whatever weird stuff that all adds up to make my thing what it is and and, uh, and then the individual qualities that Christian and Antonio both have uh, as incredible virtuoso musicians, but also the fact that we're all essentially fans of music in a broader sense that are filtering everything we, we all do through the jazz prism. That tune just kind of allows everything to, to sort of explode. It, it can kind of go anywhere, and which, it does. Which it does when we're on stage. Yeah. It's a great song. Even on the record, it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty, it's a pretty good look of, at what that thing can be, and and it's cool that we actually got to that in the studio. That's the kind of thing. It's it's hard to get to in a studio sometimes. Very hard. Yeah, and I got to say that that for me, I mean, one of the first times I, I heard Pat ever when I was growing up in Mexico, he was playing the synth guitar, and on this uh, particular tune, when when we go nuts at the end he's he's playing that instrument and, and to me that always has been like incredibly exciting about playing, playing with Brad I mean like you know it brings back so many memories and yet at the same time you know I'm, I'm, I'm there uh, taking part in, in, in the music and it's, it's really exciting for me always too bad about that hearing loss thing <laughs> other than that it's great it's been worth it it's been worth it <laughs> Dreaming Trees is a tune that we actually did quite often live right around that time that we were in the studio, but I don't think we've done it since. I barely even remember that no. one. And we've had a, a number of tunes that have kind of come and gone like that. Um, it's funny how some tunes have incredibly long lifespans and other tunes, they just kind of like are a little flower that 
has a moment in the sun and yeah. sort of yeah, goes off. away. And yeah. uh, that tune, uh, at the same time, has a couple significant things. First of all, it's a very long form. I mean, when I listen to it, it's it's about three or four minutes of written material before we even get to any improvising. Um, and this, I think, was the only time I ever played it on acoustic guitar. I've been playing it on electric live. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a tune that I think, you know, does uh, allow us all to kind of do our thing in that sort of ballad even eighth note, whatever that kind of zone is that we uh, have spent a lot of time hanging in. And uh, it's a good version. Yeah, I, I think we should definitely break this one back yeah, we, in the road. We need to. It's, yeah. it's a great tune. A hard one, too. Another one that, uh, you know, there's a lot of chords, a lot of things to, to deal with in the in the piece. Yeah, and one thing i got to say about, you know, a lot of chords is that, you know, uh, that, that's another thing that I've always loved about Pat's music, that uh, no matter how complicated it can get underneath, there's always, like, a really poignant melody that is always on top that, that makes everything flow uh, really effortlessly. But I think that's also the case with that, that tune. Uh, a tune originally written for and recorded on the collaborative record that I did with John Schofield a number of years ago um, called I Can See Your House From Here. And one thing that's just been fantastic about this band and, and really the only band that I've ever been in quite like this is the, my regular group, the, the Pat Metheny group thing, where it's sort of like I have the feeling we could kind of play anything. You know, it could be almost anything. It's like uh, this incredibly wide-open uh, white canvas that anything can happen in. And, and with Christian and Antonio, it's like that. I mean, we can play free. We can play, you know, um, you know, the most sensitive, quiet thing. We can play, like, you know, the loudest, rockinest thing, play straight ahead. And, and that, that tune, the red one, is a tune kind of that is... I don't think I have any other piece quite like that. It's sort of like reggae almost. And uh, and one day I was like, man, those guys could play that one unbelievable. And uh, we tried it, and sure enough, it was killing. And uh, we've had so much fun playing that one live. And um, again, they both kind of made it their own. And there's that great section after the guitar solo. I don't even know exactly what that is. It's sort of like, you know, everybody's kind of soloing but it's like you know all around the rhythm section that's always been one of my favorite things 
not only about that song, but but in general. I'm not quite sure how that came about because uh, after the guitar solo, I'm not sure if it happened where Antonio and I were unsure about if one of us was supposed to be soloing, so we kind of wound up soloing together and, and not soloing at the same time. It was just kind of keeping time, keeping the groove going, but like little jibs and jabs here and there so it, it was it's really kind of interesting that kind of you know collective groove, groove uh, thing that's happening in there brings us to Day Trip, the last tune on the record, which in a lot of ways is the first tune uh, in, 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 in this trio's trajectory somehow. Somehow that was the first tune I think I brought in after we had been playing a little bit that really, I think, kind of defined some essential right. aspects of what right. this band is. Right. And uh, it's been a staple of our, our live gigs. We've probably played it almost every concert since uh, since the time it showed up. And uh, it's one of those tunes you can just, like, play it 24 hours a day and it, it'll just right. keep giving back whatever you give to it, you know. And uh, it's got that durability thing that you look for in, in, a, in a tune where you can just count on it. It's going to give you wings to, to, to do your thing. And it's also going to uh, communicate somehow. It's, it's a, a very effective tune live. And again, I just can't say enough about um, the way that Christian and Antonio play and improvise within the, the, the context of what this tune sets up. I mean, it's sort of that great quality of infinity that you sort of look for I think as a jazz fan where you know I think either of them could could play all day uh, in that zone in that form and in that style and it would just go and go and go and go and go there's no end to it and uh, and then also I think as a band as a sound it's uh, you know I mean I think this is the fifth or sixth you know really kind of regular trio thing that I've done over the years and you know each one sort of has its own complexion and its own sensibility and its own kind of sound and vibe um, you know this tune is the one that I think really you know sums up the three of us playing together in this period and you know in, in our lives as as people and it, it sort of reflects a lot of things in a, in a pretty good and accurate way 
Yeah, and I, I, one thing that I really like about that tune, also Son of 13, uh, when we were free, this is just talking, you know, drums basically, is that I really like it when, when I get to play a solo and then you guys are, are, are playing along with me somehow, just like playing hits or just playing with the form and, and that really, you know, gives it a completely different vibe for me than if I'm just playing by myself. Or, or just a regular vamp. So, I mean, for me, it's really, really a lot of fun, though, that, that kind of formula where I get to play and, and, uh, and the, the guitar and the bass are just playing behind me. I think out of all of these songs on the CD, I've always felt that Day Trip, the, the song itself, that that's ours. Yeah. I mean, I really feel like that song, as a group, that belongs to us. Um, it's just like when you hear Bright Side's Life, I mean, you can't help but hear Jocko and Moses in your head. You know, it just, that's just the way it is. And I like to think that Day Trip is that for us. Absolutely. I completely agree. And, you know, there's, there's certain tunes that, you know, I guess I've been around long enough now. There's tunes that I know other people will play. You know, like Question and Answer is a tune a lot of people play now. Even Bright Size Life. Mm -hmm. I got a feeling a lot of people are going to play Day Trip, you know, and they'll be thinking about the way you guys play. Right, It'll be right. that'll be that'll be the reference point. Um, you know, it's one of those tunes that's got some cool stuff, but at the same time, it's it's kind of playable and right. it's fun. Right. It's just really a fun tune. It's meaty. You know, yeah. it's got some nice, really great chord changes and solo on that. Uh, no matter where you are in your development as a musician, you're going to have fun playing on right. that. information on the Pat Metheny Trio, go to patmetheny.com and nonsuch.com.